Hello and welcome to What's the BPM? This is a podcast dedicated to the history of Australian dance music. We will be chatting to the DJs, promoters and club owners who have been instrumental in growing this scene. From warehouse events to the major festivals we have today. So strap yourself in, subscribe to the channel and there'll be more episodes dropping in the near future. Welcome back to What's the BPM? Episode three. Sorry, there's been a bit of a delay getting this one up, but I'm going to make an effort to start pumping these out a little bit more regularly. This episode is a cracker. This DJ has been around for a real long time from humble beginnings, DJing in bars and taverns to owning nightclubs, to promoting events, to DJing at some of the biggest raves that Australia has ever seen. Loads of good chat here about DJ Angus, events like Strawberry Fields, venues like The Site, The Tube. Yeah, there's loads of good stuff in this one with a real legend of the scene. Enjoy this one, team, with DJ Ken Jensen. Well, thanks for joining me, Ken. As usual, we endeavour to learn about the history of the Brisbane scene or the Australian scene in general. You're a guy that's been there since pretty much the beginning of it all. So let's get back to the sort of start of your like life, really. Was you born in Brisbane? I certainly was. Um, my mum and dad, my grandparents were born in Brisbane. I'm a true blue Aussie banana bender. Banana yeah. bender. Yeah, born in 19, born in 1965. 1965. Uh, uh, I'm getting up to 60, um, a couple of years, 58 in September. You don't, you don't look it, mate. Oh, mate. I the, music, about... the music must be keeping you young. Oh, um, look, I, I, I'm a big fan of people like Giorgio Moroda and um, he's uh, 72, I think now, and he's still playing. I think when we started DJing, there was no bad or phase, you know, like, like a model or a football player, you know, once you hit 30 or 40 as a football player, your, your game's over. You know, my mm -hmm. dad never agreed with my, uh, my life, my career choice as a DJ. Uh, he's a bricklayer and I'm, I did a plumbing apprenticeship, but uh, I gave up my um, license to work in a club. And at that time I was earning four times as much money as a plumber. And um I don't know, it's, you, you try something out and music's a universal thing. It's something that uh, you're gifted with or you, you still try it if, you, if you're not because you, there's amazing power of music to the brain. Yeah. And, um, and you've got to chase your dreams, haven't you? you know, 100%. You can take the safe way of doing your plumbing and all the rest of it, but you're never going to get anywhere unless you sort of chase some goals, hey? Well, Dad said, hey, look, I'm going to give you a tip about work. Try to find a job that you're passionate about, a hobby, but it doesn't normally work that way. So I took on plumbing. But uh, once I started DJing uh, and I knew that I sort of had this vibe, this feel for, for music, and I just really wanted to track down, chase down much new music as I could. As through my career, I only um, gained experience from, you know, all sorts of people and all sorts of um, music from listening to my first album I bought was Moog Plays the Beatles, you know, um, synthesizer um, machine. That was back in 78. But my first albums I bought back then was the old blue Kraftwerk Autobahn. 
um, you know, Depeche Mode, um, all that sort of electronic sort of stuff because I just love the new sounds, you know. Even to this day, I, I hear a track and I go, how did they create that? You know, because it's just EDM has gone from, um, you know, just out of this world with new programs you can buy. And, and, and I think every DJ producer is trying to find a sound that, People go, wow, what's that? You know, I remember yeah. when the Hoovers and all that sort of stuff came out, you know, Command, uh, Commander Tom, all that sort of stuff. Um, it just made us put our hands in the air and just go, wow, this is powerful. Yeah. That song, Trez Chick, where it just goes, wow, and then just comes with the bass line. It's just like, wow, what's that sound? And then even today, a lot of producers are taking the same sort of, I'm a, I'm a big acid acid lover. The 303 is something that um, wasn't meant to be, I suppose. Um, it was a, a machine made for bass guitars. But the hip-hop crew back in the old days just played with it and went, wow, look what we can make the sounds of. And when you meet yeah. people people like um, uh, Hardfloor, um, and they had a track called Experience back in the day, I think, 92, it was just a house sort of beat 125 beats a minute but it just built and built and just tweaked with the acid and, and, and it's still one of my favorite songs today what a classic tune that it is, is. And, hey. and sitting down having dinner with um the two boys from germany you know you've got to um and i rat their you know get into their brains and, and ask them about how you created a lot of their tracks and and uh, to see if you can learn off of them and i found through my career with working with and just being a part of um a night or or an event um you've got to learn things off them you know um you get inspired by people you watch Derek carter you watch carl cox you watch sasha those three guys can can run three decks like it's 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 nothing smooth as silk it is mate, mate. well you yeah. know not all of them are so smooth as silk dude i call myself and carl cox a heavy-handed dj right and 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 that means like We'll put a record on and we'll just go, you know, boom, boom, boom in our headphones. We'll we'll let it go for a couple of bars. We'll, we'll Gracie and I back in the tube days, we used to have um, sort of not bets but competitions. If we could put a track in and go to the bar and come back without it dropping without out. without dropping out, and we used to race back and sometimes um, go the different way, like over to the dance floor and put our hands over the top and. Just, Give it a nudge. Just to say yeah. it stayed on. These days, you could press sync and go, you could go home and back and the song will be still on beat. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm changed. just, yeah, times have changed. So, 1984, you started DJing in Canberra. Tell us how that came about. Well, I um, moved out of home when I was 17, moved into uh, a place um, with a guy called Dave Curran. He was about five years older than me. He took me out of the wing as a, you know, I'm going to take you clubbing, Ken. I'm going to take you out, you know. And back in the day in Belconnen in Canberra, there was a tavern called Blind Beggars Inn. And simply the DJ there, Mark, just played top 40 songs and what we called sing-along drunk songs. So as the night progressed, they heard so good and Paradise by the Dashboard Light and ACDC Angels. And then you'd play a little bit of Madonna, you know, but more just let's sing along to a drunk song, do our ditty and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but it, um, I, I went to the Blind Beggars Inn, drinking, picking up chicks back in the day and met the DJ and he was a chef and he was about to go to Perth. 
So over a period of probably two months, I used to hang with him. You know, I thought this is cool. Like, you know, he's playing all the songs that my mum and my dad taught me. You know, dad was into Black Sabbath and the heavy side of things and mum was into Neil Diamond and um, Barbra Streisand. And, and I loved the 70s because radio stations back in the day played all the America pie, all that sort of stuff. Well, moving forward, um, I got I bought the rig and I started playing there. And um, I, 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 um, I suppose I got bored of playing the rock. And I met a crew that was, um, they're a mobile DJ company called Beyond 2000. And they had six rigs that went out every weekend, weddings, 21st, school discos. I started working for them, um, got experience doing the weddings and, and how to read a crowd, um, how to talk on a mic. Um, and again, that sort of got boring because, you know, you're just playing the same stuff every weekend. The guys were earning enough money to build a nightclub and they opened it up in 1986, I think it was, called Roods. And um, I was given a job by a guy called Nick Televantos in Woden and he called the club Troubadour. Now, Troubadour was named off the J.J. Carl album, the biggest-selling album in 1976, which had the song Cocaine on it. Because this owner, he was a cocaine addict, <laughs> but he had given me a job um, to be the main DJ. Uh, he had a wicked Maya sound system. He gave me everything I needed to um, start my DJ career as a more of a dance DJ. And I, I'm talking like just basic top 40 dance. We're talking... You know, mixing um, Pointer Sisters with Tainted Love and uh, Madonna with Rick Astley and all that sort of stuff back in 86, you know. Um, but I got a crowd pulled in there and the boys over in Monica um, saw that and they weren't happy with their DJ and Norm Court um, offered me a job at Rude's in 87. And I went, yep, for sure, I'm, I'm sick of uh, Nick Televanos. He's, uh, the cocaine stuff is no good for me. And I went to Roods and that place just rocked. It really did. It, it got a really good crowd where I'd play sort of the rock sort of stuff. I'd play your, your Smiths and um, uh, Violent Femmes and all that sort of stuff for the, that sort of culture people. And then I'd play, um, you know, I would find some of my own music. So I'd change the genres and people would go off the dance floor and drink and then the other crew would come on. So I was juggling all these people. This is back in 1987, you see. 88, I um, was getting sick of um, Roots, and I said to the boys, I'm thinking about leaving. I said, no, nah, we're going to give you a percentage. So bang, I've become a partner in, in Roots, and that's my first nightclub. And my job was to look after the lights, the sound, and that's it. Back then, I DJ from start to finish six days a week. Um, we did 24-hour liquor license, so it was a big stint. But I can guarantee you right now, you do the hours I did back then and you trial and error songs, it's something you gain experience through your life. I was just thinking as you're saying that, I'm thinking you're really learning how to DJ doing stuff like that, aren't you? Yeah, well. figuring out how to, what do you call them, bar rotations. (laughs) You're learning all the proper tricks. and You can't just sometimes DJ for yourself um, as much as, you know, um, a lot of bedroom DJs can play exactly what they want because it's what they it's their bedroom you've got to look at it as a business point of view and yeah the bar rotation and getting money to the door but as my life went and my career went through um getting more into dance music 
more water drinkers and less alcohol. But um, I found that the, the dance people didn't mind paying 10, 20 bucks when there was a, a good guest DJ in because they, they were like me, researching music, researching DJs, and they'd come and see that guy. We know today I'll pay 50 to 100 bucks to go see Doug Cox or Sasha or someone big. I, yeah. I paid 120 bucks two weeks ago to see my mate's GT putting together a, the Ministry of Sound Classical, you know, and you've got Mark Dynamics, you're starting up Jack the House next week. We've got people like Stafford Brothers doing Mac mashups of songs like um, More Than a Feeling and, you know, these guys and, and this crew are still break, breaking boundaries with entertaining. So getting back to uh, 88, um, here I am, I'm DJing at Roods and I get uh, a lady come up and go, Hey, I'm I'm so and so from uh, P and A Cruises. I'm the A and R manager, and hey, are you keen to DJ on the ship? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so who wouldn't? <laughs> um, I had two weeks off. I needed two weeks off when I got back because Southern Comfort bottles are like twelve dollars or something. <laughs> but no, that was a uh, a great great um, experience. Um, then I lived with Norm. Um, one of the partners of, of Roods, and he secretly um, thrown my name into the Perfect Match audition uh, back in the day, Greg Evans. This is a TV show. It's a TV it? show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, anyone back like in the day. show, yeah. Yeah, Kerry Friend and, and Greg Evans. Um, it was it was what you, what you watched at 5.30 in the afternoon. You know, you got three guys or three girls, and the guys are wearing suits with their bow ties, and the girls are wearing their puffy shoulder dresses and so forth. And it's funny. Long story short, bang, I've um, gone in for the audition and um, they quickly determine if you're the person asking the question or you're the person got to answer in the question, you know, uh, by your personality. So they've said straight away, Ken, we're going to get you to um, ask three girls and you're going to win a trip overseas. We're going to give you the tip in front in advance. So we want you to get your passport ready because we give away five overseas trips a year and bang, you're a lucky man. Ooh, wow. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going yeah. at this stage, but I got the passport in hand. The next thing is I don't want to be like the other guys. And I think through my whole life, I've got a creative flair that is, I've got to be different. I've got to, I don't know, show off is what my mum says, but um, I build things like I build motorized skateboards. I build, I pimp out my cars. I, I, I built a mobile DJ van that was like, as some say, it's like off the Richter. Um, I went out and at that time, the Levi's 501s um, had just brought out the leather version. Right? And I went, I'm buying them. I think they were about 600 bucks back in the day. Shit. Right? Yeah. And at the same time, I might as well get a jacket to go with it. So a leather jacket, that was 1200 bucks. Well, what's the latest shirt? This shirt I wore was like this, like it was something out of Star Trek. It, it had a, not buttons down the middle. It, it, it looked like a, a priest. It, it went around the collar, but it was a, the style in 1988. Plus my pointed buckled boots with skulls on them. Um, <laughs> I was out there, but um, I went to Hawaii. I went on a trip to Hawaii. That was good. Oh, wow. Mm. With one of the girls, obviously, on the show. Yeah, and I got How the, was that? I got the best of the bad bunch, I'd say. And when it's on YouTube, I, I actually was embarrassed for the first 10 years or so. But then I went, 
Stop being embarrassed. It's it's funny. Own it. You know, I got yeah. this like Simon Le Bon long mullet type hair, and <laughs> um, it was fun. It was you know like I I have no regrets on some of the crazy things I've done, but I, and I learned is at a younger age that if you're if you own a business, every minute you're awake, you're trying to promote your business, and and my theory is let as many people know what you do. Let them make a decision if they want to go or not. Did you promote the club on the TV show? No, well, of course I did. I, I, you got away with uh, it. Well, we had actually had to sign a contract or a waiver that we weren't allowed to embarrass or um, put Greg Evans down. And I nearly, I nearly did. He asked me, oh, so what's the number one song around the, around the country right now? And at the time, Doctor in the TARDIS, Doctor Who theme yeah, song yeah. Was, was big. Yeah. But he, he was thinking of Clarence Carter stroking. Remember that song, stroking to the left, you're stroking yes, to the right. Yep. So, um, and he didn't understand when I said doctor in the TARDIS. He went, what? I said, doctor in the TARDIS, like doctor who? And I sort of uh, patronized him in a little bit. And he said, all right, okay, all right, calm down, calm down. I do get excited about certain things. My mum always says, when I think of something or I'm involved in something, I get excited about it. It's something that I'm looking forward to and it's something that I'll put my heart and my full effort into to make it work. And I do that with my promoting. And uh, I used to get called a self-promoter, but I used to say, look, I'm not promoting just me. I'm promoting the other four or five guys or whoever is part of the team that makes this night uh, a, a success. Angus and I used to always, you know, Angus, I'm number one. I said, Angus, you're number one and always number one. Yeah. I'm no number. I'm just glad to be a part of the team putting on a good event. You know, that was my theory. Yeah. So anyway, I got bored with um, um, Roos in 1991 and um, I've been offered a job at the Threadbow Alpine Hotel, the Calabar, the place to go and party. One tavern in the whole of Threadbow was the Calabar. The DJ box has two big doors either side of the, and they open it up. And snow comes in. It's such a good vibe. Wow. So that that gig was um, unfortunately not very good because it's ran by the Bobby McGee's Corporation in America. And back in the day, Bobby McGee's was a, a franchise. Um, they had guidelines. You had to do these, uh, I think it was two dynamics every hour where we had to learn five dance routines to certain songs like Grease Lightning and Nutbush City Limits and all that sort of macarana. And part of my job, I'd be sacked if I don't, is to call out Dynamics 3 next, right? And all the staff would know what song, and that could be um, like a Tina Turner, right? Yeah. So they all stop selling drinks and they jump on the bar and do this dance. You wouldn't have to do the dance. I you? had to do the dance oh, as well. It's part kidding. of it. Oh. Well, I wasn't allowed to smoke or drink. Anyway, look, I got through it because I went skiing. The landlord of Roods, because Roods shut down three months after I left, they got another DJ in, they, they tried different stuff, nothing was working. The landlord rang me up and said, Ken, Ken, I need you to come back. You're the only person who can make this club work. I said, well, offer me a deal that I can't refuse. And he offered me a really good price. Um, he wanted to call it Raging, like the, the TV show, music TV show. I said, mate, if you're going to get me to come back, let me organise everything. So... Um, I called it the base. So you you purchased the club from him? Yeah. Or yeah. I think I think I paid sixty thousand dollars for it. Is what he offered me. 
for everything the fridges the lounges the the sound system wasn't the best but um you know i i knew what it was going to cost to upgrade certain things and um i put myself in the defense straight away i sort of went wow and that i've signed a he wanted me to sign a three three year lease i only signed a one year i said look michael we're mates let me just do a year first i don't want to you know um like sixty thousand sounds like not that much money right now but this is back in the early 90s that's a massive chunk of money yeah well i mean the rent was massive as well it was one hundred and four thousand dollars a year it was like wow. nearly nine grand a month plus i had liquor uh, four grand staff at the time was about three grand you had to pay 25 percent of your liquor taxes in front it was like a crazy amount of money but i, I knuckled down i went okay um I love dance music, but I can't run a whole club and make money off just dance music. So let's run a pool comp on Tuesdays. Let's give Wednesdays to the uni students to do their stuff. And I met this really legend guy and uh, rest in peace, Roger Ramjet. Uh, he had been running full house promotions for years in Canberra doing his own little events. And he's, he's as passionate as me. Um, so yeah. And then I started mixed up before triple J and I, um, Met this young guy back in the day. His name was Chris Fraser. I was working at the private bin. I did a small stint at the private bin, which was Canberra's number one nightclub. It's in the middle of town. Um, it's been running for 21 years. A guy called Peter McCoy owns it. And his theory was two DJs don't ever promote the music. We get sponsored by Kicks 106. Let them um, promote the music. So you play the top 40. That's the deal. Well, I was leaving the private bin and I had to find a DJ. So I'm interviewing 10, 20 different guys. And this one young fella, Chris Fraser, rocked up and we just chatted and talked about everything. He just was on the ball and um, he got the job. And he's worked with me throughout Canberra and he's a great DJ. Chris Fresh, his name is now. Is he still DJing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, oh, wow. he's, uh, I think he's still losing Canberra, but um, Chris Fresh, if you're out there, like I love the chats we used to have. I've never talked to so much about music and than than with him. I was just saying that to Splitty, MC Split Boy. We we are the same too. We can just get on a a chat and talk about different music things, and we just inspire each other. Justin Galt as well. We do the same thing. But anyway, it was my time to move on. Um, move back to uh, Brisbane. It's nineteen ninety three at now. And the first person I heard, you know, I got to Brisbane. What's going on in Brisbane? Who's looking after what? Well, Ken, you got John Hannay, a gay guy that runs the beat, and uh, you got a guy called Peter Brown, runs Out of Limits Promotions, and he's got a, a sidekick, or <laughs> I'll call him a sidekick, eh? Um, <laughs> Michael Watt. Well, Michael and I were, were good mates for years because, um, again, he was the host. That was his job. His job was to look after the DJs, make sure they come in from the planes, the hotels, and, um, and he eventually became a promoter himself because he just had that gift of um, very good at his job yeah yeah choosing the right um acts and artists for um, what a club needed so we've moved on um i've talked to peter brown peter brown said yep you got a gig next month um supporting klf you know the ancient moomoo -moo land <laughs> they would have uh, been huge i was very impressed to get in a yep. gig with that well this is a time where you really got to sort of focus and think this is make or break and i i've always taught the young guys and up and coming you practice you practice you practice 
you finally get demos out to the right people. They give you your first step, a gig. This first gig is the most important part of your career moving forward. You have to fucking play consistently or well, and then you have to play consistently well and improve every time. All right? Because if you play your first gig and you're just average, yeah, all right. See you later. All right, yeah. okay. Yeah. But if you can um, do something different or, you know, just kick ass um, and then you can consistently play well, you won't, you won't fail. Look, I've, I've made lots of mistakes and fuck-ups when I've mixed because I've never been a bedroom DJ. I learned how to sample and scratch and shit by, well, you know, um, and all that sort of stuff. You just... You're doing it live. Yeah, you just in practice. The, in the club when you're working. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then um, I think I picked the right choice uh, because Out of Limits started putting on some big parties. The NASA party started um, and I, I missed the first one, but I got into the second one, third one, fourth one. And Peter Brown, Michael Watt, no holds bars. We're getting the best of the best, the biggest, whatever we could do. And they just come out with new ideas. And then Strawberry Fields was created. Look, just being a part of that team, and there was probably 20 of us that worked for three months to put on Strawberry Fields. You know, we'd have a, we'd have a big meeting and Peter Brown would say, okay, you know, uh, Gail, your job is to distribute, you know, and all the distributors, you've got these suburbs and, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. And it's just everything was covered. My job... <laughs> Strawberry Fields Thunderbird Park, which is the second Strawberry Fields, it was a strange one. So why have I got this job? <laughs> was to, can you organise the shuttle buses from the car park down the bottom up to Thunderbird Park? And, you know, there's a lot of um, what's the word? logistics goes involved in that because we're talking 5,000 people um, and no one's allowed to drive up to Thunderbird Park. So there's obviously a, a giant car park down the bottom and I've got to, so I've done that. I've got all the shuttle buses booked and, I've, you know, they're, they're shuttling, shuffling everyone up. Now, in my um, forecast, I've worked out that I need so many buses come back earlier. Like, say, let's say 2 a.m., they can start taking buses back. Yeah. But no one left. They all stayed. Wow. As the night got bigger, cars started parking up the, dr the, the driveway. Now the buses can't get through because they've <laughs> closed the road off. Paul Holden is playing the last set. I've already played my set. We've got the two two the walkie talkies on, and um, now I've had a couple of drinks. Now um, the end of the night, you know, we said we're about to celebrate, but we get the Ken, come in. Uh, yeah, what's going on, mate? I need you to go do me a favour. What? Um, the buses can't get up here to take people home, so you've got to go down and tell the five thousand people on the microphone that whoever owns the cars have got to move the cars. The managers and the owners of the venue have given us an extra hour, right? So, Ken, you're going on after Paul Holden, right? I'm walking down the hill and it's, you know, it's six in the morning or something and I've had to, you know, slur and tell people the situation we're yeah. in and now I'm going to play the last hour. So the place just erupted like, yay, it's like an encore. Like, yay. My, my glasses were all crooked. I... But I, you know, I, I got through. It was an awesome night. So what, what actually, at what point did the scene explode enough to have like, you know, five, 6,000 people in a field <laughs> dancing, <laughs> dancing to like this new music? Because like oh, I said this to Barking Boy that 
Like I sort of thought it was around the sort of mid nineties that it all exploded, but the more I'm looking into it, it started a long time ago, didn't it? So, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of history about uh, two specific times in the 20th century history that changed the world. One was 1968 when the uh, distribution of LSD was available. That's where we got, you know, Woodstock and we've created a whole group of people called the hippies and they're still out there in their communities. And um, psychedelic man, you know, I, I did later in life, I did, did a lot of the earth frequency, the winter solstice, um, uh, doof doofs out in the bush and they're very earthly people. You learn a lot of things about, you know, Tai Chi and yoga and Tai tea and <laughs> and oh, how to wear yeah. you know tie-dye and stuff but to go a trance to me you got you know it's never really changed that much since the day but still each to their own with music yeah. is what's what you know floats your boat i quite like some of it i do like yeah. some of it too yeah. my flatmate just plays it to death and um it's got you know there's so many sounds all sound soundscape stuff that just um it just flows you know and that that kick drum in the, in the in the trance stuff is like pretty pretty full on, you know. When you got someone like my my big fan, psy trance sort of fan is Neelix. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, he's, he's only a gawky a, a, a gawky looking guy. You'd think he's some twelve year old guy with glasses, but he's just creating mad shit, you know. Yeah, some of them festivals in like Brazil <laughs> where they play that that Neelix and all those guys. Yeah, the like, Bernie Man as well as that sort of stuff. Easy, like crazy. Hey. Right. Yeah, so, and the second time, the second thing in, in, in our history or 20th century was what they called the summer of love in the UK when the distribution of ecstasy was there. And uh, that's when it started all these like big raves, secret raves, you know, call this number and, and you know, you're not going to know until you're on the M1 and getting to where you got to go. You got to stop and can you hear the music, follow the music. And um, I think because Australians, we know what's going on now. We, 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 we've seen documentaries. We've seen, we've heard about these big raves over in England in, in 1989. For me, I was in Canberra and I got a mixtape from a mate that went over there and it all I had was Sasha and Digweed on it. And I was blown away. This, I've gone, this is not just one track. They're mixing this somehow. I've got to find out. So I... That just straight away went, I need to have this music. So I, I worked out a deal with some distributors to um, get so many records to me um, every month. And we had a crew in Canberra that all worked at different clubs. And we called ourselves the Knights of the Round Turntables. Roger was one of them, Chris Ripple, uh, Luch, um, is, uh, Goldfinger. And we had these little badges we wore had two turntables and a little mixer on it. And um, we wore them when we, when we DJ'd. But long story short, once a month, we'd have these, you know, get togethers and, you know, hundred new imported records. And, you know, one at a time, like you do at Central Station, put record on. If you like it straight away, yep, I'll have that. Oh, damn, that's okay. I've got two, two versions of that. You know, um, it's just like Central Station. You'd go yeah. in and, hey, Harry, what's, what's new? Oh, cool. I've, I've put some acetates and some, White labels away for you and Angus, or oh, and the other guys are complaining. Why are they get it, mate? Those records go to the guy who has the most people because they're promos. And Angus used to get the white labels and write fuck off on it. 
because people used to come up and work out what what, what song is this and they looking around oh funny one angus <laughs> that was funny so yeah so you think it kind of exploded from then onwards yeah well like, yeah i think um we wanted to um i don't know uh first off here international djs and um through klf um through nasa we were getting overseas um international acts and it only got bigger and better as more international djs were recognized I know that the second Strawberry Fields, we didn't have one international DJ. Michael and Peter just said, no, we can fill six stages with 28 Australian kick-ass DJs. And that's what they did. Um, and, it's, and it's still sold out. Yep. And in the UK, after all the uh, government had closed them down, it, it, it only forced everybody to create these super clubs. You've got Gatecrasher, Slinky, Cream, that, that again... Um, Ministry of Sound, they were all fighting over, you know, who's got the best DJ, Danny Rampling, you got Seb Fontaine, you got, you know, and these guys' residents built a foundation that, that we still live off today. Um, you read articles or documentaries about successful clubs, bottom foundation, it's the DJs that created that. It's not the owners. Without the DJs that have got that passion to strive forward, you know, look, Carl Cox is Mike. He's, he's a DJ's DJ. You know, he ran space in Ibiza for twenty years. That's a testament of 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 passion. He lives in Melbourne now. He's sponsoring his mate's motorbike uh, companies. He's got the Carl Cox Motorsports. You know, and I think that's fantastic. Because what else do you do with your money? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's just been going since the beginning, and he and still going. You know, still. Well, arguably one of the best in the world. Seven years right in a row, now. I think he won yeah. uh, the uh, best DJ in the world. I mean, uh, I've been following um, DJ Mag, the Mix Mag, and the top 100 DJs in all my life. I mean, I, I, I strive to be one of the top 100, but, you know, my path sort of went different angles. Um, you know, I don't want to go too far into it, but um, I'm like 60% of musicians that are successful in the world. I've had a drug or alcohol problem, you know, and, um, but I, I could see the problem I had with my family that are very supportive. And, um, you know, I'm a clean as a whistle these days. And, um, I've been doing, I bottled water for nearly 10 years. Um, but I still had that passion where I was playing private parties and still had my decks at home and, and definitely never gave it up at any time in my life. Let's talk about the mid nineties and and so on from there because that would you say that was the height of your popularity like things i've read online like i've heard stories of groupies just traveling around from gig to gig following you come from, on mate we, i'm not a rolling stones mate this is not like no but days, yeah. i've heard people just loved ken jensen oh, no, and, no, i mean no. you can still read things on facebook to this day no. but I let's think, yeah, i think you, you got to talk to michelle my girlfriend at the time she actually thought that but don't, don't girls come up to you after you play your set and say, hey, do you want to go out the back and I'll, you know? I go, that doesn't happen. I mean, you know, it might happen with Poison or some sort of, you know, glam rock band or something, but uh, I never had any groupies. I mean, let's let's rephrase the word. Yeah, Groupies. Sorry. I mean, 
like hardcore fans. Yeah, hardcore fans. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. Yeah. Now, now we're I've got a couple of hardcore fans, but I didn't know they were hardcore fans until later in life. I'm going to talk about one special woman. Her name's AM, Anne-Marie. She used to come to the tube and you would never see her face because she would just be dancing so hard and her hair going everywhere. She would only go to the bar and get her water. She would dance for three or four hours straight and she loved my music and then she'd go home. You know, no one really knew who she was. I didn't know who she was back in the day, but I met her later on and she's one of the smartest women that women know. She works for QUT and um, doing a psychology. But anyway, I am. I'm going to see you on your birthday on the 27th. We're going to go for dinner and I love your support. Awesome. Um, but yeah, there's people that have come into my life now and and when I they say, Ken Jensen, you're Ken Jensen. Even just two weeks ago at Ministry of Sound, I'm having a cigarette and I'm saying to my mates, I said, um, it would be good to see Groove Terminator because I know him well, but he's there's 3,000 people here. I can't get out the back. I'd like to see Mark Vick, you know, because he's up here in Brisbane now and he's running Jack the House next uh, Friday. Um, get out there because it's Acid House. Hip That's house. Mark Dynamics for... Mark Dynamics. Anyone, for anyone the, he's a legend of legends. That. He's done yep. so many mixed CDs for so many, especially Ministry of Sound. It's just a... It's just a uh, he's got a great, great portfolio. And and, and he's out to you, Mark. I hope you get a good crowd. Um, unfortunately, I've got a gig next Friday, so I can't make it. But put me on the guest list so I can play your Acid House. <laughs> I was around that time. Acid! Um, yeah, so getting back to, um, where was I? Like we were sort of mid-90s. There was like, it just seemed from, say, 95 onwards, that there seemed to be raves and, and club nights like dedicated to like techno and stuff that were just popping up everywhere. And DJs seem to be just getting more and more busy, especially in Brisbane. Um, yeah, I think that, um, well, from 93, when I came back to Brisbane, I saw a standard thing happening in one club. That's the beat. You know, I went to the beat on my mother's 40th birthday when I've come up from Canberra and I went to the beat because, uh, Rosie's tavern had closed on a Sunday at 12 o'clock. Now in Canberra, 24 hour liquor losses. And I've gone, where's everyone going? Oh, the only place open, mate, is down in the valley. The beat, it's the gay bar though. I've, you know, I'm half pissed and I'm by myself. I'm cruising down the beat and I walk in and all the bar staff are in their togas and I'm going, oh yeah, cool. This must be dress up night. And there's a giant, no word of a lie. There's a giant plastic penis in the middle of the dance floor that people are dancing around. I'm going, this is my first experience of the beat. First experience of a gay club. But I'm open-minded. The music was great. You know, it was kicking. Um, then all of a sudden, the music stopped. All this smoke came out. Dun, dun, dun. At the time, this beautiful girl in a bikini came out until she got on the mic. Hello, darling. How you going? It was a drag queen. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I freaked out. I went, no, nah, I'm out of here. Um, so I'll always remember that. I, I think I was 25 or something like that. Um so many, many years later, I've come back to Brisbane and the beat's still going and it's got Kess and Angus and Edwin and they're rocking. They've been there for a long time. They're three um, skillful DJs and they've got that crowd because of consistency, you know, and a style of their own. You know, we cannot um, – uh, the respect I have for Angus um, is, 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 is nothing like – you know, his scratching is was unique. He did things that no one ever did before, like scratch over raves and 
but he had some funny old days too. And I remember one day he was uh, scratching and he got this rhythm going and everyone's just, oh, yeah. And he's looked over at the, the deck on the left-hand side and the song's about to finish. And uh, he's scratching. So his two hands are full and he's yelled out, Ken, can you come back and come over and put the needle back a bit? Because the record had stopped. About to finish. And he's yeah. actually just scratching and everyone's just dancing to the scratching. But he doesn't. He didn't know how to, like, what do you do? <laughs> Stop the music or... Yeah, or yeah. yell out to me and I'll put the needle back. So that was funny. But um, Peter and Michael started up Universal at the site. And that's where KLF were at. And it's a great venue, the site, high ceilings, big room, uh, dodgy stairs up the back to a room called the Attic. And uh, they had, uh, you know, so two different rooms was a big, you know, um, thing to go out to. It gives you a couple of different styles of music. Trot down to the beat to see Angus play or Kesson, whoever you liked. Um, and we started getting a uh, – we had 1,200 people every Saturday night to Universal. The DJs at the time was Dizzy, Senard, um, me, Darren James, and Thief. So it had a progression. It had a, it had a structure to Universal. It had great artwork. Um, and every now and again, you'd have people like Cosmic Baby, you'd have Prodigy, you'd have all these big acts come through. But then it closed down. Michael and – uh, Peter did a deal with uh, the new owner around the corner at uh, the old subway and they were calling it the tube and uh, straight away Universal went to the tube. I met Gus, the new owner. I met Sue Cleary, who was um, the secretary or Gus's assistant and shouts out to you, Sue. We had a great time back in the, um, the tube was all we did. We sat around during the day and just planned what we were going to do. We built the living room and brought more DJs in. Um, I became the promotions manager for three or four years there and helped Sue and Gus put many, many parties on, brought in other DJs to run um, the harder nights on Wednesdays. You know, it was fun. Um, I had to program probably 12 DJs every week and I worked my ass off back then. And So just for people who don't um, know much about the Tube or its history, the front room, would you say that was more like slower, like house music? It was simply what the title of the room was about. If you go into your living room, what do you expect to hear? Definitely slower than you. What you yeah, well, it depends on if you go to your grandmother's living yeah, room or yeah. not. Um, but no, the living room was built to be a comfortable, loungy type. Um, let's bring, um, because we had a lot of mates that, that played that style of music um, and shouts out to Mark T and, Mark Brie, uh, Rousey, I, I, um, I taught Rousey how to DJ and then he, he went on from that. But we used to go around to Rousey's house. He lived at the Gap and he lived downstairs and he had a, a section in his downstairs. He had a PlayStation, he had the gym and he had the turntables. And Jeremy Duncan and I and Rousey he used to do 20 minutes each. We'd rotate, right? And you'd, we had fun mixing and learning and... Um, I gave Rousey a job at the living room. I um, was recording tapes at the time and I'd already brought out my first tape called called One on E, 1994, um, just before the site. I did that at, live at the site. I got Rousey to record a 45-minute side and I called it Too Easy, Too Easy. So you recorded that in the club, on the club system? The, 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 the 
on E, I oh, recorded. Okay, yeah. Uh, too easy. I went into, into a studio and I, we both, you know, separately did 45 minutes each. Um, and then I, you know, like everything, a progression I had and, and just my perfectionism in the sense of, hey, if I'm going to record two-sided tape back then, 45 minutes, and I'm going to sell them, right, I can't have mistakes. I want to be able to, in 20 years' time, listen to any of my tapes and go, I'm proud of these tapes. There's no, you know, fuck-ups. There's no, like, um, but I, I spent a lot of time in programming and, and um, you know, making those tapes worthwhile. And the good thing about that is, back in the day, places like Chi Chi Deluxe, um, John Adams and, 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 and all the underground uh, clothes shops and places, they played music in their shops. And yeah, my tapes weren't authorised through APRA back then, the Australian Performance Recording Association, but they were sold under the counter at Central Station. You know, people go to Dottie or whatever and they go, what's this music playing? Oh, that's Ken Jensen's new tape. And, and yeah, you can buy it under the counter for 25 bucks. <laughs> but everyone was doing that, weren't they? Like, that's that. You, you could get a Jenny tape, Thief yeah. tape. That's like, what we yeah. did. That's how we promoted. And I brought out the fourth element as well. So I brought out a, a box collection every year. That was enough for me just to, I don't know, just get it. You know, you, you could talk to any DJ. If you spend the time researching your music, going through hundreds of records every week and knowing exactly when the shipment came in, you know, and shouts out to Hacker and all the guys at Central Station, Sydney and abroad, even BPM, Gracie and the guys, uh, one stop in Sydney, you know, like all these guys um, did their best to get the best distrib distribution of, of labels and stuff. And they, and they would come in at certain times. Okay, new shipments in. We'd go through 100 songs in an hour and we learn how to speed listen, you know, you just jump through the track, turn the record over, yeah. listen. Being a bit like self-indulgent, my favourite of those um, mixtapes that you did is The Third Eye. I'm not even sure when you mixed that. Well, that'd be 95, 96? 96. Yeah. And it, like it's on my YouTube. I'll put the link in um, in the show notes. Maybe, yeah. I put it online, yeah. Oh, I'm finding that recently. I found, <laughs> a, uh, I found a link to it online yeah. and managed to download it. It took me ages, but I found a link to it. And it is... Like for any new DJs that are listening, like mixing on vinyl is, it's, it's difficult. Like it's a, it's an art that you can learn how to do, but this, that mix is banging. It's mixed flawlessly. There's like live scratching, live sampling in it. Like it's a really good mix. Like kind of, I mean, we don't have all night, but just give it, talk us through a little bit <laughs> about on, how you how you did that mix because well, it's it's incredible for the age i, I feel like i'm a say let's say a, a an artist and you've got your canvas and you you do a piece and you go oh yeah that's good that's nice people are you know complimenting you and you only want to do the next one better you know um and if you don't you're not going to get better in life um so every mix i did i i i wanted to i don't know just have the latest music um i wanted to appeal to more people and the third eye was actually um really big in sydney uh, i got lots of compliments from the sydney djs um that they say we we crank that up before we go out that sort of thing you know um it, it's a little bit more ravey a little bit more energy you know i think i put um songs like 
a lot of Mario Picotto, uh, Pablo Garando, um, which had this like in Noom Records, Eve Eve Records. Um, people say, oh, what sort of style of music do you play? You know, I, I go, not hard house, right? I, I never like being termed as a hard house DJ. Only because hard house gets thrown around a bit too much. Like uh, it's sort of bubbly banging stuff, you know, like you got the tin rib and you got your tidy boys and all that sort of. After a while, it sort of got the same sort of sound. But then you got, you know, when Noom and um, Eve Records came out, you know, they had these producers that were, we call them, I call it uh, intelligent new energy. And new energy was probably the term that um, uplifting trance is what, you know, hard at edge, you know, um, German, a little bit of German stuff too. And that's uh, influenced from people like Bexter who, who, um, was hearing this stuff from Germany and, and she had this great ability to um, get the right keyboards and, and programs and, and create her own um, style from her influences. And Bexter was um, looked up to big time. And she had these great little two dancers that um, they were dancers. They were like, um, I brought the prodigy to Canberra in 1991, was fortunate enough to, be working at the private bin and knowing the guys from the rat parties in Sydney, they had booked um, the prodigy. And back in 1991, who's a prodigy? Well, they had a hit called Charlie and uh, a couple other trick uh, hits off their first album called Experience. And uh, if anyone's heard, uh, it, it's the best album, I think, because it's all dance rave orientated. Raw, yeah, really raw. Yeah. And a guy called Liam is the main guy and he just plays everything by himself. And back then they had Keith and Leroy and they were the same as Bexter and their dad. They were just dancers. But as they moved on, like my mixing, they wanted to be become, they started singing and doing a bit more, doing a bit more. Yeah. And now I know this for a fact because I got to ask, I got to play a big day out 95 prodigy was supporting the the boiler room. So when I caught up with Liam and Leroy and, Keith Leroy's gone. Hey Ken, you got to check out my new eye lenses, and he's got this. Um, oh, that's right, because he used to he wear those in, scary, yeah, um, scary eyelids, and he he's got this little case he opens up, and they're like, you know, like I don't know, you watch porn stars, and the, someone comes in, he goes, uh, "Do you want to buy these eyeballs?" And they and they try to sell eye. Who wants to buy eyeballs? But this yeah. guy used to walk around and go, "Check out my eye, my you know eye lens." <laughs> Yeah, like um, vampire was, eyes, right? Yeah, they? yeah. I spent I spent the, most of the day uh, because they got so popular back then, and I, I I was rubbing shoulders with them, and it was really hot at the Gold Coast Boiler Room. They had a whole caravan air conditioned with the uh, eskies with, the, with all their drinks, and well, I go out and and dance with the crew in the mosh pit to ministry. But actually, I I, let me, I did I danced with Pee Wee Ferris to ministry. <laughs> Because we thought that was there was a couple of tracks that sounded trance-like. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember Ministry. It was always on Rage, really early morning. Yeah, or late at night, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So you mixed you mixed that on uh, obviously a set of Technics decks. Did you do that do that in a recording studio or? I uh, back I suppose in the nineties when anybody's producers making music. We're doing it mainly at home on your on your computer, but we had you, you had to take your track into a studio to mix it down. 
most of my own produced tracks have uh, an average of 30 to 32 different sounds because they're all just layered. And it is, is, it is so um, monotonous and so boring. The, the boring part of making dance music is you've got to, say, work on one sample. You've got to over and play it again, play it again, and put it through a different effect. You've got to work your volumes out. Because if you don't, all your levels are out. So, you know, you took your track into a 64-channel mixing desk or whatever, and the first tape, one, and too easy, you just recorded it at in our house and, and, you know, it worked out okay, but I wanted to, as I said, step it up the next time and let's go, and I, and I found this studio. We used to have this um, African bongo crew that were there and they were really cool. And basically um, I spent a lot of time in this studio uh, and I took a long time to record the third eye. One, too easy, and the fourth element, first take, I, I nailed it. I was very lucky. I, that's what you're aiming to do because when you're doing a any any mix, you don't have the opportunity to. Back in the day, you press record and you start. Your first mix works works well. Your next second mix works well. Your third mix works well. Your fourth mix not happy with it. Press stop. Go back to the start. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, again. Yeah. When it, today you can okay. Press stop. We're going to edit that, and and we're just going to join it together. You know, I didn't know that John Digweed and and Sasha uh, computer mixed a lot of their the Northern Exposure and all that. Yeah. But when you talk to them, I've had lunch and bought Diggers a, a meat pie in the valley when he was here. You ask him why did you go that way? Why didn't you just do what you do when you play live? And um, yeah, you know, he said it was because it was new. Ken, we're using technology, right? Where Computers can match and sync and blend spend, them together. For we can a spend minute. a lot. We can spend a lot of time in blending. Uh, their mixes go for three minutes. You know, like um, my average mix on uh, is is a minute and a half or so. Back in the day, it'd be like thirty seconds. You know, <laughs> you've only got so much time to mix. Hip hop, you drop. You know, there's different ways of mixing different styles of music. Now, I, I can sometimes like Sasha and Digweed, there's three decks going because what I'm doing with some of my controllers is if a song that I like from the 90s hasn't got the balls of today, I can, I've got a couple of little loop kick drums and so forth, you know, whoom, 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 that I can just run on, on deck C or deck three. And they're just simply there running, looping on the same thing. And I can just bring that in every now and again, or, you know, if, um, a record's going to run out. You knew you had to fucking get the mixing, otherwise um, the record's going to stop. But now just push one whole button down and you're looping it and you can go to the bar and come back and mix the next song if you wanted to, <laughs> you know. So DJing these days are, is a little bit easier, but it makes you be more creative. And Carl Cox will tell you that. I say, you push that sync button. People go, I don't push the sync button. Oh, Lord, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. Um, uh, I, I I have the sync button more always pushed, but it's I, I can spend more time tweaking my effects and 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 you know really working with the sounds that I've got in my head. Well, you just played me a um a snippet of a mix you've just done um recently before, and you had a track building up, but then you also had like an an older track like sort of looping over the top of it, and you phased it in and out and. With the new digital stuff, you can be really creative and do 
mad, some pretty mad stuff, can't you? Oh, look, you know, mashups are, I don't care what anyone says, I love mashups. Mashups is something that you can take an old favourite track that you can, I don't know, let's say The Who. There's a couple of tracks that they brought out in the 60s, right? A whole lot of love, you know, where there's a breakdown and, and you can take these little samples and you can, you know, just put so many different echoes and effects and when you hear that, you instantly know, oh, that's that, that classic track from The Who, you know. Um, Pink Floyd, Great Gig in the Sky, and there's so many other, I can't go on, but like uh, I saw the Stafford Brothers uh, two weeks ago do, uh, uh, oh, what a feeling. No, I, what More a, than a feeling. More than a feeling. Yeah. You know, I'd love that uh, track, but it's, it's been beefed up and, and rocked. They, they mash up big beats with old favourites. That gets you so much more... Um, uh, followers because your audience is, is so much bigger. I mean, I started, as, you, as I said, doing mobile work, reading crowds, found a, a sound that I liked, the imported dance stuff, focused on that for a while and, 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 and practiced and, and did well with all my parties and, and touring with, you know, DJ beats and all that sort of stuff, and loving the people I'm working with, the elite DJs that, uh, we all know and love, you know, Nick Fish, Chopping Jack, Pee Wee, all the guys that are on DJ Beats are there because they've been doing it long enough they can produce their own tunes. And Pee Wee is another one of those guys who goes, we need to promote these guys. And he does a call out. Everybody that I played with, give me a demo and I'm going to compile a 12, you know. And when you get a phone call saying, hey, love your track, we're going to put it on, you just go, yes, that's, that's so good. It gives me exposure. And it, it just pushes you to do more. So my, my career has is, is gone to one step higher, one step higher. You know, uh, next, the following year, DJ Beats 2 comes out. Peewee does the same thing, calls out everyone, get your demos organised. And it's a privilege to be asked, you know, to have my second track, uh, Bliss, on, on that. You know, only a couple of the DJs that were on the first got asked on the second. And I've got to thank Glenn Marshall, Glenn Marshall and Trage, from basics you know like us music loving people they decided to form a, a dance act and the, the two brothers and glenn marshall was the main guy behind the the keyboards and, and the synths and so forth and they had the female vocalist so they had that cross section of you know when they go and play live they could play five six tracks their own tracks and to the dance crowd you know and that back yeah. in the day it wasn't really a dance band, you know. You have sneaky sound system these days, and you have, you know, South End and and um, shouts out to the boys of South End, Steve and all the crew. The winner is Sydney. Yes, <laughs> I'll tell you a story about that in, in a second. Basics would come to me, and they'd like my style of, of music that I was choosing. And Glenn said, "Ken, do you want to remix a couple of our tracks?" Love to, bro. So I spent some time with him. Remixed uh, Anola Gay, Kaleidoscope. I think Jenny did a remix of Kaleidoscope as well. I did the 3D glasses mix. and But it was fun. It was fun. It was my first experience of, in doing a remix for someone. I didn't know what to or how to do it. So, again, it's a communication with like-minded people. Um, Glenn said, oh, I said to Glenn, what do I need? You know, I haven't got, at the time we were using Creator Notator, you know, um, which was before... Cubase or Pro Tools or, you know, yep. Pro Tools you learn if you go into a corporate music program learning and so forth. You know, we teach reason um, in my DJ school, but each to their own with music programs, whatever you use, Rebirth, Fruity Loops, uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, if it does what you need it to do, you've got the right program. But I've learned that. And he said, mate, just bring your favorite records because I want you to take the elements out of those. We're going to, we're not going to sample, we're going to recreate. So I bring over half a dozen records and each one of those records would have little elements in it that I thought was cool. That was above the rest. And I say, all right, see this part here where it'll go one, two, and it'll spin back, spin back, and it'll echo out. I, I want to do something like that, you know. And he would pull out all these analog system things and or, or hear this kick drum. This kick drum kicks in a big room. I love this kick. If you can make the kick, right? So he, he, we'll spend a day going boom, 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 oh, boom yeah, just, just finding that kick. Exhausting mentally, yeah. But but at the end of the day, I've remixed their tracks. Um, they send it over to see so ZYX rec label, a German label. They like my mix. So I'm getting worldwide exposure now. And that's where you start to say, hey, this is pretty cool. So I've never made tracks by myself. You know, Glenn Marshall helped me. I've had a couple other um, producers help me. But it, it, I take uh, the credits go to the, the guys who... Uh, form, acts, and play. You know, Samir, Southend, there's, there's a whole lot of guys out there that I know and support. And 2000 was the year the winner is, and I was travelling back up to Brisbane. I'd had enough of Canberra. Um, I'd just played on Mix Up on Triple J. I was the fourth DJ to play on Mix Up. Um, so it was a good thing to, to um, be able to um, put together. And when you start getting Australia or recognition around the around the whole country, you know you've got to perform. You know when I when I ran the DJ school, I'm a role model now to so these young guys. They look up to me like I look up to every other big name DJ. You don't want to make mistakes. You want to do your best. You know Justin Galt, Goldie, um, and I. He rang me and said, "Bro, what do you think of that? Uh, the art of DJing, Steve Lawler." And I said, I've, I haven't watched it all yet, but I've seen the start of it and it's, it sounds good. He goes, bro, it's unreal. We get inspired by documentaries about not famous DJs, DJs that just love doing what they love doing and it's so good to be able to share it. You know, if you spend time researching, looking for these records, practicing, practicing, and then when you find you, you can put them together, the next step is like, how do I get the world to hear it? Yeah, you want to share it. You want to share yeah. it. You said um, before we were recording that your dad had some health problems, so you kind of had to take a bit of time away from the scene. But then you started the uh, you started the DJ school after that, after your sort of like clubbing DJing career sort of slowed yeah, down? Yeah, well, I, I, I was a manager of United DJ Mixing School in Queensland only for a short period of time. You know, I, I decided I had to go back down to Canberra. I couldn't... Uh, look after the the school in Queensland. <clears throat> but when I get down to Canberra, straight away, I'm on that sort of uh, frame of mind. I wonder if there's a DJ school in Canberra. And there was a guy called Nick Harrison down there. DJ Chaos, his name was. Not Master Chaos, but I'll get to Master Chaos later. Um, Chaos. And I rang him up and I said, what's going on, Nick? He goes, uh, oh, yeah, Ken Jess, how you going, mate? Yeah, look. Um, I said, how are you running your DJ school? He said, oh, just me and my brother. Uh, judge, we just one-on-one. -on -one. You know, at home, you know, just whatever they want to learn, we teach them. You want to learn scratch, we'll teach you how to scratch. You want to learn a beat mix, you know. I said, bro, can I come and talk to you? I'll 
want to be a part of what you're doing, but I want to build it bigger. So what do you mean? He said, oh, well, I've got this um, six-week structured course that is, that's been given to me by Kieran, DJ KC. Shouts out to him. First Australian DMC champion. Most placid, nicest guy. I got him to play the, the, the tube many, many years ago, a 10-minute set. What are you talking about? You say 10 minutes? Yeah, on four decks and just going turntablistic wild, keeping the crowd dancing. And you, people just go, get out of here. Like, that's mad. Long story short, I ring him up and tell him, sorry, bro, I've got to get back down to Canberra. Um, I'm thinking about uh, working with uh, Nick Harrison with the ACT DJ school. Can I use your structured six weeks course? Ken, go ahead, mate. So I said, Nick, this is how we run it. And this is how Kieran runs it all around Australia, successful. Um, we just need to have a studio. So I got in contact with a guy who ran a small mobile rig and sold some speakers and decks. And he was more than happy to have uh, build a couple of studios for us. I got in contact with the radio uh, host that I knew at Kicks 106 and I said, hey, we want to sponsor the top eight at eight because that's our market. All I had to do was every six weeks give away a free six-week course, a record bag and a T-shirt, and we had 12 students every six weeks. Wow. And um, I brought, you know, Chris Fresh, Nash T, Goldfinger, Daniel Sun from Coolism. I had all the best of the best teaching the guys. I'm, I'm, how do you say this? Um, when you get accreditation for a business, which you need in Australia, you can't be a good guitar player and put an A-frame out the front of your house and say, guitar lessons. That's not allowed, right? You've got to be accredited. So back in the day, I had to sit around a table with all these government people and they're all scratching their head and they're going, well, hang on, we haven't even got a, a title for a DJ on the, on the pay um system like <laughs> what does a, a dj get paid well and at that time a radio or a dj was the radio announcer so if you worked in a radio that's when that sort of uh titles got changed if you were a radio guy or a dj back then but no you just go in and grab your carts and grab your ads and you just push buttons so you're now a radio announcer and we're the djs right so they said well hang on how long have you been doing it? Well, I said, at that time, 15 years. Oh, well, you seem to be the most experienced person at this job teaching. Possibly. Possibly. Mm -hmm. But I've got a bunch of other guys that are passionate and one's really good with scratching and one's really good at producing and one's good at promotions. And, you know, we're a whole team. And uh, they gave us accreditation and that's how the school is, is given. I think we should definitely talk about your van. Okay. Well, that's 2000, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I hurt my back um, in 1999. I was doing, because Dad's a bricklayer, I was doing a bit of part-time work with Dad. Um, oh, back in that day, 1999, I was running a DJ school every Tuesday and Thursday from 6 until 9. I was bricklaying, labouring five days a week. I was a resident at Club Habana Friday and Saturdays. I was just, it was just full on. And how can I say this? Weekends, I didn't get much sleep, and I had to, I had to explain to Dad why my eyes were—they look a bit glassy, or, or they look. They, what's wrong with you? Are you on? Are you on drugs? And and it was at the time when, or some people I worked with at the club, formed this little crew called Beeline, and they were drug safety officers as such. 
they got the authorization from the Canberra government to set up a table and and test ecstasy for safety. Yeah, because at the time, um, you know, we'd we'd have uh, some wanker come in with say fifty fucking rat poison pills and and drop twenty of my clients or punters, and and then and I'm with these people from Beeline and right behind the the, the belief of um, you can't stop people bringing shit into clubs. But if we can safety safely monitor them, so they come over and legally a copper or whatever cannot do you. They can't stand behind the desk and go, "Here they come." You're going to put a yeah. bring a pill out, and they you just scratch a little bit off of a pill. You test it. Hey, it's all good. Go and dance. Uh, there was a lot of uh, promoting of safety with raves. That Anna chick died from overdoses and so forth. I was very much on a um, promote. The mixing of drugs and alcohol was the cause of death, not just um, overdosing on ecstasy. Plus, as an owner of a club, you can't stop it. Yeah. You've just got to um, just keep an eye on them. People will yeah. always do drugs. Yeah, well, it's just... Um, Regardless of what music scene it is, it could be rock, dance, whatever. It's always going to be there. Yeah. we yeah. just got to try and, like, make sure people aren't dying and do it as safely as possible. 2000 was when I got back to Brisbane. I've just bought a 1972 Ford Transit from a friend in Canberra. This thing had had all the running gear, all the bottom end um, converted. So it was really, really drivable. And it had, um, I saw potential for this thing to be like my home. Because when you're sitting in the back of a van uh, for a long period of time, you think about how you can recreate it because this is your new home. How do I make this taller? Oh, okay. You can you can buy a a, a top. But I'm talking to my mates. They go, well, you got to cut the roof off and put it. You can't just put a second level on a car, Ken. Well, you watch me. So I did this like crazy shit, man. I I went to a car wreck. Is and I and there's all these old transits now from 1972 to 1981. Transits all had a standard roof circumference. Was Transus, believe it or not, the third biggest production car in the world. Volkswagens, Corolla, Transits. They had pop-ups. They had slide-up ones. They had all different ones. I picked the fiberglass type. So I was able to get up on, on my roof with a giant big saw and, like, cut in a hole in it. I cut a hole in the giant roof and, and put this boat-like thing upside down on my van. And now I'm... So you could stand up in I it. I could stand up in it. Oh, that opened up my world. So I started putting TVs in and, and stereo stuff. And as everyone knows me, uh, blue lights and LEDs. I I was 50 years old when I sort of worked out that yeah, I... Yeah, decks. Yeah. Vinyl, CD players. I built it all myself and it was, it was B grade. But luckily enough for me, as I travelled around, um, <clears throat> I didn't do much club work back then. I decided I was on the dole. I'm going to do the NICE program through the government. Uh, NICE was a incentive from the government. If you had a business plan, go to and have a meeting with the person, and if they approved it, they would for they would uh, finance a, a small business management course, and you won't have to look for a job in that period. So I I went. I've got a business plan. I want to run a mobile DJ van. So I went and saw the lady, and the lady said. Well, I've been researching and there seems to be lots of mobile DJs out there. 
I said, yeah, well, I'm not one of them. I said, I'm unique, unparalleled to another. I said, I've got a mobile DJ van. Can I show you it? And I walked outside and I've opened up the doors. And I swear to God, I've never seen someone's drawer, uh, drawer drop there <laughs> because, um, I don't know, uh, for the listeners out there, if you <clears throat> know my creativeness, sometimes it goes over the top. They go, Ken, you've gone too far here, you know, um, but I like to do something that makes me comfortable and it only just um, blew out of the I, – I, I did so many crazy things with that van, um, but I loved it. I lived in it for 12 years and I went around and I did parties out of it. I did all the festivals out at um, northern New South Wales. I worked for the Service Paradise uh, Alliance, which ran all the uh, V8 supercars, all the, you know, skateboard uh, stuff in, in, the, in the Service Paradise area. You know, they had the Red Bull mobile truck. Like when I came on the scene, Red Bull was pissed off with me because they didn't get the gigs anymore because I had a better sound system, I had a better <laughs> show, I, you know, like, um, but that's because I just, I wanted to work, I wanted to, you know, but then it rusted and I decided I had to go into a, um, I'm at my sister's house, and my, my, my old van's rusting, I'm, you know, my legs are rusting and I'm at, at an age where I'm going, what am I going to do now? You know, I've had a good career. My sister's friend, um, Neil, he worked at a water bottling factory and he got me a job at, and I got into bottling, bottling natural spring water. Um, cool. And I became a team leader and I loved it because it was, I got free water. <laughs> but I was still, you know, playing week on weekends and, and at home. And so I had a bit of a, a quiet period there of probably 10 years. Uh, I got asked to play a candy flip um, on my 50th birthday. That was very exciting. I, you know, I got a shout out to Troy and, and Scott Walker. Those guys have always been uh, supportive of me. I, I think um, they're, they're in this scene for a reason and um, they're doing it proud. There's been a couple of people that have come through this scene, no names calling, but like have uh, done it for the wrong reasons. And to be honest, they weren't DJs. And I think, um, uh, there's two reasons why someone doesn't like you. You've either fucked them over in the past or they're jealous. And it's hard when you sort of get to the top, someone's going to try to knock you off all the time. But you just, you know, people like Mark James who run, you know, uh, arcade down there and all the right people are doing the right things and they'll, they, you'll get your own supporters because of what you do and what you um, can give them at the end, you know. That's, that's where I'm at. You can't um, like you can't please everyone, can you? And, oh, and when you old an old statement, I think when you're popular, you're always going to get haters, and I guess that's just a back to life. You just, yeah, yeah, that's right. Got to move on. Yep. But what's the big new gig you've got coming up shortly? Well, I mean, uh, through my years and years of of being around and knowing certain people, um, uh, a good friend of mine, Nick Fish, his brother Sasha, who I know know well as well. He's one half of Binary Finery, and we love Binary Finery. 1998 was one, one of my favourite trans tracks. Every one of the biggest, biggest, greatest tunes of all time, really, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Re- I honestly didn't realise when I was just looking into it how many different remixes there are of it. Um, so hats off to them. They, they, they're rocking. Well, they got Trans Central. Um, I think this is their second party. But uh, following up on doing a bit of research, Sasha called me and said, hey, I've got a gig coming up on May the 27th. Uh, do you want to play? 
And I said, uh, well, hang on. Uh, no, hang on. Yeah, I'll play for sure. And I found out that he's moved up to Sunshine Coast recently. Oh, really? So that's why um, he's doing some promotions here. Just like Darren Brie came from Perth and he's doing things with the guys. It's yeah. good to know that people who are successful in a different state, when they go to another state, they're picked up straight away by the scene. And I've had the same thing from Canberra. Darren Brie had it. Groove Terminator had it. A good, good friend of mine um, now is a guy called Damien Newell. Um, and I'm going to say a big shout out to Master Chaos in the house. And everybody, if you want to learn off of someone, Master Chaos Academy is right here on the Gold Coast. Um, is it really? He has come up from uh, he was Melbourne. The Melbourne DJ. He wasn't is. It? Yeah. He's uh, very close with the boys at uh, Base Station, Jason yeah. Midrow and all the guys. And he called me out of the blue probably a year and a half ago. Um, I started up a business with a with a, an old friend of mine who's a chef. His idea was, Ken, we, we got to combine my love of cooking and my love of DJing and I'll pay for business registration name and all this. Come and live with me and let's form Hungry DJs. And I said, what, what, what? He goes, yeah. How many people have to book a catering service for a 21st and book a DJ? You know, weddings, they book a DJ, a band, and a catering service. We're like a superhero. He would just, in a way, fully one. The COVID stopped us doing what we had to do, and I had to move on. Um, so that's why I'm where I'm at now. Um, and Sasha has given me an opportunity to uh, uh, showcase my uh, skills, I suppose. So, yeah, it was, I haven't bought music for about a year or so. Haven't mixed that much either. Been pretty laid back. But uh, the last month has been hectic, but fun. I've gone out and I've listened to so much music. I've selected so much. And I always say this to the young guys, mate, don't come to me to say I've got 200 terabytes of music because oh, I can make a DJ because you'll just have simply an overload of, of your brain will blow up. If you're going to play an hour set, I normally say 17 to 20 tracks is what I average. So I go out, research and pick by about 50. Put it in a folder. Right, and I've selected those 50 for what I, the night I'm playing. Sasha said, it's a hard trance, techno, harder edge, timeless classics. Right? It's picked DJs like Jenny and myself because we've been around and the timeless classics. He's picked people like Jody Six, which I, I didn't even know him, but he's getting his records that he's producing now played by big DJs overseas. Yeah. He is. Yeah. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Um, I'm loving his acid that, are, um, and I want I want some of his tunes. <laughs> um, Angus Gibbons, I haven't um, heard much of him, but again, a, a, a new up or not up and coming. He's been DJing for a while, but yeah, he's been like, around for a long time. Yeah, but he's doing what really uh, good trance DJ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Sasha's done the right thing. He's picked the best of the best, um, and we should all together entertain the crowd. An old friend of mine. Uh, Adrian Hayes who was around in Brisbane about seven years ago. Lives down in Melbourne. He's very close with the Adelaide promoters, Melbourne promoters. He's seen that my, hey, Ken, you're, you're playing out again. Yes, mate, it's been seven years. Looking forward to it. He said, mate, get some demos and stuff and um, I'll, I'll be your agent. So I'm going, hey, this could launch my career again. Could, could kick off again. But it might not too. <laughs> I've turned, you know, I could call myself Sample Ken. 
Sample can. Sample or simple can. <laughs> a sample can. <laughs> Fucking grooving sample can. Mate, no, yeah. look. You this, do what you do and it could take <laughs> off again. There's something that, 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 that triggers my sampleness, simpleness. If I can mix some of the new stuff and production and, and throw in a sample with some different effects or even throw some new tracks, but just rearrange it. So it's just a little bit different. I don't know. Your own spin on it. My own spin. So where's that event and what day oh, is sorry. it? Um, it's May the 27th at uh, the Trifford. Now, I haven't been to the Trifford, but everybody I spoke to said it's a great, great yeah. live venue. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'll have to um, come along and check it out. No, you come along and you dance. <laughs> be, yeah, dance, be, I say. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be doing pogo sticks, <laughs> jumping up and down. Yeah, that's all right. No two step, two step to shuffle. <laughs> yeah. You know how to do that. Yeah, awesome. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Ken, for coming up and um, telling us your story. I'm sure there'll be tons of people out there dying to hear it. Thanks, and, Steve. Uh, good luck with your next few gigs coming up. I'm sure it'll. Uh, take off you just gotta do what you do you'll be fine i just gotta mention now also that uh another legend brisbane dj um uh writes my star uh oh, yeah. some, some yep. of the guys would have remembered uh that name he has started up a um i mean like you do if you're a dj not getting the gigs you gotta look out of the, 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 the square you know um i'm just gonna get back to master chaos just for a second because he's up here now he rang me and he said i can i run i, I run Australian underground sounds. We run a podcast every Wednesday. Bossy's down in Melbourne. I got another guy. It's all this, you know, podcast stuff, and and I didn't know much about it. And I've had been I've been doing a little bit through uh, the COVID period, and um, it's a really great source of um, getting your music out there. And 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 Master Chaos said, Ken, you've inspired me. I listened to you back in the days. I've got your tapes, and, and I'm now meeting you. You know, and I've gone, oh, I feel like, you know, I'm no, no hero, but like, hey, if I've done that to you, mate, I, there's there's other DJs that have done it to me. Of course. Um, yep. And we've become really close friends. Damien, um, it's 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 good to, to see what you're doing, and we're going to do something together with the e-scooter championships coming up um, in the next 12 months or so. But getting back to Rice Meister, we've got to promote him. He started up a internet monthly radio show called club to rave radio uh the format or the uh system is a monthly three-hour show uh rice meister plays the first two hours i think a, a club hour and then a rave hour and he gets a guest cool. gets, yeah. a, gets a guest dj in every month and um i've just finished a mix uh this morning actually i've got it here you've got it there i gotta give that to uh rice meister this afternoon or tomorrow and he's got a put it through his production and um, release that. And I'm not quite sure the date, but um, look, look out for a club to rave. I'll, if it's, um, if it's out before this goes up, I'll put the, the link to that in the description. And it, even when it comes out, I'll just add it to it, but I'm not sure how many shows he's done, but one, one, so, it, it, and it yeah, it's my the, old mate, uh, who it, I've actually promoted a couple of gigs with, um, Jay Frantic. Jay Frantic, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he was the first guest, so that's pretty yeah. cool. And I had to listen to his set, really good. I, I, I read his bio and I thought my bio was uh, extensive, but like he's played with the, the best of the best as well. You, you can only learn from that. Yeah. And uh, feel good about yourself that you are able to get to that standard where um, you are now rocking with the best.
rocking with the best. <laughs> yeah, mate, Jay Frantic, or um, I think he changed his name to Jared Asher. Yeah, he actually had a he he released a track with James Lawson from the UK, and it went nuts. It was a massive anthem. Yeah. And that that track exploded for him, and then he decided, "No, I want to um, change my sound." <laughs> so he changed his name, and then it. I think he should have just um, capitalized on that. Say, you got to look, you know, chaos must chaos said to me. I said, "Oh man, I've got um, Jan Driver, uh, Jan Johnson." Um, wow. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah. Uh, wanting to uh, get involved, and I've gone. Hey, that some of the stuff of of hers is is legendary. You know, so you gotta you gotta jump on board. You know, doors open for a reason. Yeah, don't have it locked. That's it. Lock it in. Lock it in. Lock it into what's the BPM? That's it. Hey, hey, let's ask that question. Where do you find a thirty-three or forty-five button on your decks? <laughs> You've got it down pat, Stephen. Yeah. You must be an old school DJ, mate. This is the question <laughs> that I want to ask everyone, but I keep forgetting every time I've done one. The main question is what. You've got a you've got a dance floor. You want to keep people dancing as long as possible. Yep. And you're you're a DJ. You've been doing it from taverns to pop music to hardcore rave music. What's the BPM that's going to keep people there all night long? Uh, your heart rate is is what they say is the most popular, which is about 124 beats a minute. Um, and that's why the umbrella of house music creates all the genres underneath don't be fooled by a someone saying that that genre of music was what the creator house music is what created everything else underneath us yeah let me tell you a phrase from paul holden another classic uh legendary rest in peace friend of mine he said when you go into a club and you hear the dj first thing you do is walk around the club and listen to the sound right to see eq you know your bass your mid-range you go up to the DJ box, you look over the shoulder and check where the settings are. Always be in a club an hour before you play so you know what the, the DJ's played. Gracie, that goes out to you that used to come in after me and the first song you'd play was the last song I played or second last song and wonder why everyone walked off the dance floor. I just played that song, Gracie. <laughs> walked in. Yeah, I just didn't hear it. With his yeah. cup of tea. Love you, Gracie. But Paul Holden would say, Every song that you play, someone has sat behind a desk or a computer for a long time to create that track at a certain speed, right? Yes, we can speed or slow our songs down that we get, right? I do approve of we a scale of zero, right, on a turntable, and you've got plus eight or minus eight. Yes, on controls, you can go into preferences and go, like that, I can do plus 20, plus whatever. Right? It'd be stupid to play a song at plus 20 because yeah. someone spent a lot of time making that song at that speed. But he said, just boost it up a little bit, always faster, a little bit faster. It gives it more energy. Yeah. Don't go behind or slow because if someone knows that track, it's going to sound like they're on Valium. Right? We know when songs are too slow. If it's too slow on your controller or on your Serato or whatever, and that little thing is behind, right? Push that browse button again and choose another song that's 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 in comparison to the speed because that's an important part. You know, there's too many DJs I think out there, and this is criticising some of the younger fellas. They're overloading themselves with music, not categorising their music properly in key or beats per minute, and they're just 
trying to mix songs at 140 beats in with songs at 115 beats or, or way wrong. So, you, so a, you reckon 124? Well, that's that's the, what the... Um, I do believe is the BPM. Uh, can I ask you a question? You know what BPM stands for. Yep. Have you told your listeners? Beats per minute. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Well, the, I mean, the newer guys would definitely know the BPM because of the all of the digital stuff, but, I mean, some of the older guys maybe buying vinyl. Oh, mate, I, I, only, I only worked out what LOL meant the other day. <laughs> <laughs> What's the love, isn't it? What's the LOL? <laughs> New radio show. Lots of love. Lots of love. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Going out to all the people and uh, that have had a dance to my music, and um, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I am a dancer. I'd like to dance out there. So, um, for the hardcore dancers, you know what it's like to get in a groove, you know. And when you're in that groove, it's just bliss. I think it's euphoric. It's it's epic. Epic. <laughs> and that's a good spot to finish it. We have a we have a mix now. On yes. your, he's got 17 turntables set up. It is crazy. <laughs> I've just got the two vinyl decks with a heap of um, heap of records. And he's got a four year old that broke one of the needles. And I'm, yeah, yeah. so we ain't mixing. That's <laughs> <laughs> so just chucking one onto the other. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, cool. Ken. No worries, Steve. Good Amazing. to see you, mate. See you out. See you out there on uh, the 27th of May. Sounds of the underground. Oh, there you have it. Thanks again, Ken, for coming on. And um, don't forget to look out for his mix coming up on Rice Meister's radio show, Club to Rave. Also, make sure you check him out on May the 27th at the Trifford Nightclub for Sounds of the Underground, headlined by Binary Finery, Jenny, Jody Six. Wayne Dugan, Angus Gibbons, and Ken Jensen. Thanks again for listening, guys. Check us out on Instagram. Just search What's the BPM. And uh, when, I, when I do the next episode, I'll be posting on there. Thanks, guys. Catch ya.